For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Jeff Fidoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valero and I recap big win against the Saints, discuss some Christmas memories that Joe had while playing with the Chiefs, and also preview the game against the Atlanta Falcons. Joe, a real fun game and a real uh, test against the, the Saints on Sunday that the Chiefs passed. You know, a lot's been talked about regarding this game. Uh, you know, the pressure that the Saints put on the Chiefs and Mahomes. Uh, a lot of the, the Chiefs defense, how it stepped up. One stat that I think is incredible from that game that I think has been overlooked, the Chiefs ran 92 plays. Amazing. Have you ever played – any of your Chiefs teams ever run – I mean, amazing yeah. stat. Jeff, even well, we, first of all, my first two years, 91 and 92, was Marty Ball, right? Marty time was Lombardi time. And we were, <laughs> we were smash mouth, you know, hit him up the gut, crush the clock, you know, like just eat up clock, right? Christian Okoye, Barry Word, you know, short passes in the middle of the field to, you know, Jonathan Hayes, tight end. We didn't have, we had some speedy receivers, obviously JJ Burden and some great, great receiving core but you know we were smash mouth so my first two years (laughs) there's we couldn't mathematically run even close to that just based on the way the offense was and even in even in the montana era you know we never really had the opportunity to rack up that many plays we probably you know we might have hit like if we had a couple of you know long sustained drives that weren't and you had to have multiple long sustained drives because if you if you had a long sustained drive that was on the ground, you, you're going to eat up so much clock and you're not going to have the opportunity. I just think in those shootout games, you know, with long runs, a lot of first downs, a lot of guys using the perimeter of the field, getting out of bounds, clock stopping, you, it sets you up to have that kind of game. And and I think the Chiefs' balanced offense last week lent lent that right. I mean. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was averaging five and a half yards a carry. I mean, that's, you know, you're talking about two carries and he's got a first down and, mm-hmm. you know, he had, you know, he, he had that long, you know, 16 yard run and Patrick Mahomes had that long 24 yard run. So they were doing things that allowed them to stay on the field, run plays quickly and also get a lot of plays in, you know, based on the style of the offense that the, that the saints needed to do right? Kamara had almost as many yards on the ground as he did in receiving. You called that. I mean, that was your call, Jeff, that he, that Alvin Kamara is just as dangerous in catching the ball as he is running the ball. I think, and I think the Saints did everything they possibly could um, to hang with the Chiefs. They threw, let's say, one, two, three, four, five, six receivers caught more than, you know, double digit yardage, uh, average yards. Um, So that's spread in, you know, true spread he was spreading the ball around. I mean, 
And Patrick did the same. You know, he was, he was spreading the ball around just like he always does. So I thought it was a great game. I know I'm being long-winded. It's just I'm, I'm still excited about that game and, and how it looked. And it was really cool to see Drew Brees out there. Whether you love the Saints, whether, you know, you want obviously the Chiefs to win as a Chiefs fan, it was really cool to see a guy in his 40s with that kind of toughness, broken, 11 broken cracked ribs, punctured lung, and he's out there playing at his age and playing at that level with that kind of passion. How, how could you not enjoy that game and, and you know, have, some, have a lot of respect for Drew Brees? And he did not have as, – as great it was to see him out there, he did not have his best game by any means. But I think a lot of that rust coming back, Michael Thomas was out, and then they lost another one, uh, another target. Traquan Smith went out. And, uh, you know, I think the Chiefs defense also deserves some, some credit for, for making Brees really struggle, especially out of the gate. He – you know, he was 0 of 6 to start out, you know. Yeah, it was as to be expected, right? I mean, you know, a couple of things you and I texted about during the game that really, you know, number one, how surprised we were that Drew played. I mean, we, we both said that if Drew plays, it's a different game, and it was. Mm-hmm. I, I think if Drew doesn't play in that game, you know, I think, I think the world of, you know, Taysom Hill is solid, and, you know, I, I think they're, you know, you know they've got, they've got this, you know, good, solid, you know, backups um, at quarterback, but he just brings a different level to the game. So seeing him out there, we said, if, if he plays, it's going to be a different game. And the Saints may even win that game if Drew plays, and they almost did. The other thing that you and I both said uh, as we were going back and forth was that safety and how that was going to come back to bite them. Um, and that, 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 that the uh, Saints player couldn't land on the ball properly in the end zone to get that seven points as opposed to getting the two points that they did when they batted the ball out of the back of the end zone and forced the safety. So that was, I think that was the first text that I said to you was that's going to come back to bite the Saints. And it did. Um, totally. The difference, the, the difference in the game for sure. And we're going to break, that was kind of a confusing uh, play. And so we're going to break down the rules for that and how that went down. But first the NBA and college basketball are back. The NFL and college football playoff right around the corner. With all these sports going on, there are plenty of bets to lock in. So if you're thinking about picking the Lakers to repeat their NBA championship or someone to upset Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, you need to go to betonline.ag. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, and Joe, back to that, that play, that safety right before the end of the half. There were two plays that were kind of uh, confusing and very unusual. There was that play and then the play where um, Wisniewski channeled his Joe Valerio <laughs> – <laughs> Stephen Wisniewski and caught a pass uh, after Mahomes was pressured and hard to tell if it was a fumble or a pass, but Wisniewski did catch it. But before we get to the Wisniewski play, let's talk about uh, the safety at the end of the half. Demarcus Robinson made a bad decision. It's the end of the half. Just don't try and make anything happen. Just go in the half with the lead. Um, he, he fumbles. It looks like the, the Saints are going to score fall on the ball in the Chiefs' end zone, it ends up a safety. Uh, Joe, take us through that. Yeah, so think about it this way. Okay, if, if, 
think about, let's go through the typical safety scenarios, right? Uh, quarterback, running back, you're on the one yard line, you're going out from your own end zone, right? Everybody always gets nervous, right? You always get nervous for your offense when you're in that situation because all it takes is a bad snap, a sack, you know, a, a stack up on, you know, on a running play. And next thing you know, you know, you're, you're negative two points, right? You, you get a safety because you get tackled in the end zone. And the reason it is a safety is because you're tackled in the end zone with possession of the football. Okay. So if you are in possession of the ball and you are down in your own end zone uh, on a live active play, different than on a touchback, obviously, if you, you know, when the ball hits in the end zone on a kickoff or, you know, you let a punt hit the end zone, right? That's different. So you're an act, it's an active offensive play, which, which is what a punt return is. So you get tackled in the end zone safety. I don't think anybody has any questions about that, right? If Demarcus Robinson would have ran like caught it on the five yard line and mistakenly ran into the end zone to avoid, you know, a, a tackle and got tackled in the end zone. Everybody knows it would be a safety obvious, right? Captain obvious statement there. But what happened when he fumbled the ball outside of the goal line and the ball became free in the end zone. Okay. The chiefs never lost possession of that ball. Okay. So the ball made its way to the end zone. So when, when the guy from the special teams and the Saints, you know, the, the, the long-haired, blonde-haired uh, linebacker yeah, yeah. You know, that was, was jumped on it, God, you know, that, and that's what I said to you, Jeff. He jumps on that, and he makes a good fumble recovery. We used to practice fumble recoveries. You know, it was always a, a fun drill we would do. Usually we, w- we would wait until it rained, and we would do it in the mud before we went in. And it was always fun because it's a skill, actually, to be able to learn to jump on a ball and, and to protect it in a fumble. So when he didn't, when the ball squirted out from underneath his midsection and it, and it started to go towards the back of the end zone and the Saints player batted it outside of the end zone and couldn't get coverage on it, or if even if a, if a Chiefs player or if anybody bats that ball outside the end zone, since the Chiefs were the last player to have, that last team to have possession of the ball, when it goes out of the back of the end zone, it's a safety and not a touchback because it's almost equivalent to the player getting tackled and moving out to, of the back of the end zone. And so that's why it wasn't a touchback is because the Chiefs never lost possession of the ball. And, and so in essence, Demarcus Robinson was actually in, in, in he, he wasn't in reality, but in the, in the rules, in the eyes of the rules, he was tackled outside of the back of the end zone, which, which forces a safety and not a touchback because the Chiefs still, quote, were in possession of that football when it left the back of the end zone. So Great explanation of a, a confusing and also key part of that game. Now, the other one, tell us, uh, you know, Mahomes is under pressure, and it's always confusing whether it's a, a fumble or a pass, you know, going back to the tuck roll and Tom Brady. But when uh, – how, how does Wisniewski – he was an ineligible receiver, thus it was a penalty when he caught the ball – you were many times an eligible receiver. What, what is the process? Take uh, the listeners to what the process is like to make yourself eligible. In that yeah. Way. So st- start, with, start with what you have to do, right? If you want to become an eligible receiver, you, number one, you have to be not covered on the end of the line of scrimmage, okay? So, for example, if a wide receiver is split out to the hash mark and he is covering Travis Kelsey, who is an eligible receiver because of the number that he wears, right? So Travis is always an elig- always has an eligible number. 
I want you to picture a wide receiver out on the numbers, okay, and then you got the tight end on the end of the line of scrimmage. If that wide receiver is covering the tight end, Travis has now become an ineligible receiver because what you're trying to do is even the game out so that the offense knows exactly who can, or the defense knows exactly who can catch a pass. Mm -hmm. Let's think about it. If everybody was eligible, right? Patrick Mahomes would have 10 receivers. You just can't defend that, right? So think about it logically. You can barely defend the they, four as or it five is, already has. Right? So you can't, you can't, so, so the defense has to know who is an eligible receiver. So that's why whenever, whenever the end man on the line of scrimmage is an eligible receiver, like a Travis Kelsey, a tight end, or somebody who wears an eligible number, the wide receiver has to line up off the ball and not cover that player. Okay, so that's why Travis Kelsey could be an ineligible receiver if the wide receiver was covering him. And if he goes out for a pass, there's a penalty. Same with the same with a tackle on the open end of the scrimmage line of scrimmage. Right. That's why those wide receivers, you see them. Sometimes you see them pointing to the ref and they like get like the okay from the ref. Mm -hmm. Am I covering? Am I not covering? So because they want to know that they're not on the line too much, because if if you've got open tackles, like let's say there's no tight end set and you've got two tackles on the end of the line of scrimmage, those wide receivers need to be up on the line of scrimmage covering those tackles because you can't allow them to be eligible unless they've reported eligible, okay? So even if I'm a left tackle, okay, and I come into the game and I say, Mr. Official, I am an eligible receiver, he has to announce it to the stadium, right? And he has to actually make a live announcement over the loudspeaker, or if the loudspeaker is not working, tell the defense 73 is an eligible receiver, okay? And if somebody covers that person, he becomes ineligible. And if they don't cover him and he doesn't have an eligible number, he has to report the way that I used to report when I would come in as a tight end, okay? So you, you're, you're giving the defense every opportunity to make the best play based on the set, right? So that's a, I know that's a really long-winded answer to kind of like that whole eligible thing, right? So when, when – and anybody in the backfield, obviously, is an eligible receiver. So if I were to line up at fullback, I would have to come in and, and report as an eligible receiver, right, because I'm, I'm in an eligible receiving position. And you're only allowed to have five eligible receivers at any given time. That's another part of the rule that I don't know if many people know. Mm -hmm. You can't have more than five eligible receivers at any given time. So you couldn't line up everybody in the backfield with just a center – hiking the ball and every offensive lineman reports eligible. Like you just can't do that. The defense mm -hmm. could never, never make a play. So they always know that there can't be more than five guys going out for a pass at any given time. Okay. So what happened to Stefan there was he was playing guard, right? So he's already ineligible because he's covered by both, by both players. So he can't even report eligible. Even if he came into the game, right, right. he can't even report eligible because he's, he's covered by two players, the center and the tackle because he's not the end man on the line of scrimmage. So when, when there's, a, when there's a, pa a forward pass, if you don't report eligible or you're not in an eligible line position, you can't catch the ball if it doesn't touch anybody else. That's why Stefan was doing the whole shake the hand thing or, you know, he was doing Just the like make it, yeah. make it rain. Make it, I'm like, who's Stefan making it rain? You know, he's like <laughs> doing the make it rain thing. And it's because he was trying to let somebody know. I think he was trying to talk the official in the fact that it got touched, which we all know in the replay it did it. The ball did not get touched. It was just Patrick making a forward pass motion, right? And that was a forward pass. That's kind of why Stefan – got penalized was because he is, he was an ineligible receiver 
Uh, and first of all, but after all that long explanation of, of a rule, what a catch. How the <laughs> heck did he know that thing was in the air? Like he, it was almost like he just like a sixth sense that he knew that ball was up in the air and he caught it. I was, I was more amazed at the catch than I was anything else. My, yeah. my jaw dropped when he made that catch. He's, he's, he's a really good athlete. They've got some linemen who can catch. You know, they Eric Fisher, obviously, the catch and release mm-hmm. play in the end zone. Is this Newski showed that? Um, Osemley is out for the year, but they showed some practice video of him, of him catching. So, uh, oh, yeah. some athletic linemen. Uh, on Joe, something I also wanted to talk about is, man, we mentioned the ninety-two plays the Chiefs ran. A testament also to the Saints' defense. While you shouldn't let a team run ninety-two plays, the fact that they played so well and limited the Chiefs and didn't really get worn down despite having to face the Chiefs on that many possessions. Really impressive by the Saints, D. They've they pressured Mahomes in a way we haven't seen before because we've mentioned that Mahomes is so good about just knowing where the pressure is coming from and he's so elusive. Um, part of that, I'm sure, was the Chiefs really had a reshuffled offensive line. With Newski, who we mentioned, was in for the first time and this year for the Chiefs because of injuries. Uh, Fisher was playing but was banged up. Remmers, who's already uh, a backup that was playing, was was not in. So uh, Wiley was kicked out to the outside uh, from where he usually plays in the interior. But talk about what you thought the Saints did, their approach was, and, and also the Chiefs offensive line there. Yeah, I, that's a great point, Jeff. And I know I, we, you know, we were texting during the game. And 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 to, to put it simply, what the Saints front did is I call I call it, you know, and this is a term. It's not I didn't I didn't make this up, but it, it's a, it's called a mush rush, right? It's it's a way of rushing the passer where you're trying to take away those open spaces that Patrick is so darn good at finding. Okay, mm-hmm. now you got to be careful because if you mush rush and you let Patrick get the corner, he can run, right? You saw that by the 24-yard run that he mm-hmm. had. Um, so, you know, it can come back and bite you. But I think in this particular game, for the most part, 80-20 rule, right, 80% of the time, it worked for the Saints. In, in, think about it as, as the defensive front four just advancing more slowly, right? The typical rush in, 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 in sort of the NFL is two strong, speedy, you know, defensive end linebacker types rushing up the field, right? They rush up the field to contain and try, they try to beat the tackle outside, right? Sometimes there's machinations where they'll twist and stunt, but the goal is to get two players up the field around the tackles. And then your two players in the, in, in the middle to rush and to create that penetration to, to get in, you know, I'm, I'm doing facial motions here and hand motions like our fans can see us. Right. But the, you know, so the, so the defensive tackles are, are trying to mash the middle of the pocket to get in the quarterback's face. So I think everybody can kind of picture that, right? So two speedy guys coming around the end, putting the pressure on the quarterback to make him step up into a pocket that is collapsing by two really strong defensive tackles. That's like 80% of the time, you know, that's the kind of rush that you're going to see. Patrick is so good when those when those tackles get beat around the edge, even if, you know, you got guys playing tackle who've never played tackle before, like, like Wiley, you know, which by the way, Andy Heck is doing an unbelievable job with, with this offensive line and shuffling and getting the right people out there. I mean, they're, I don't care what anybody says. They're 13 and one, eight, no on the road. 
with an offensive line that's been shuffled around, mm-hmm. picking up guys midstream like Stefan Wisniewski. So hats off to them for that. But what, what, what the Saints were able to do was not allow those pockets to happen by what I would call mush rushing up the middle. It's different than spying. They're not spying Patrick with like a linebacker because they're not afraid Patrick's just going to take off and run like a Lamar Jackson. Like he's just not going to do that. He's going to find the open space. And so what they did is they, it was like old military, like, uh, you know, style marching, boom, boom, boom. And they're just like, all four guys are just progressing up the field a little bit more slowly and not allowing Patrick to step up and get that extra bit of time that he likes in the pocket. So, you know, I think they did a really good job with that. I think other team you're going to see other teams doing that. So I would, I would watch that in, in throughout the rest of the year, you know, pay particular attention how teams rush Patrick and how they use a slow and methodical rush to keep him from getting into those open spaces. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that happens um, over the course of the, of the rest of the season, watching the success that the Saints had with that mush rush. Great points, uh, Joe. Um, and, and we're posting this on, on Wednesday, two days before uh, Christmas here. Uh, Joe, give us a couple of maybe Christmas memories you had uh, while playing for the Chiefs. Because it, it, it's different. You know, Christmas is obviously different this year for everyone, given the uh, pandemic in 2020. But, you know, when you're an NFL player, you're, you're working on, on, on Christmas. Yeah, Jeff. I mean, it's, 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 you know, sometimes we played on Christmas, we played on Christmas Eve, we played close to Christmas. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's a holiday, of course, that, you know, you kind of build up to most people who, who celebrate Christmas. So, you know, we, we were lucky enough to have the build up. Uh, one of, one of the things that was a fun build up for us is, you know, when we were lucky enough to have Carl on, um, I'll never forget, you know, when Carl had us down to the plaza, my wife and I, Jennifer, to, to see the plaza lights come on on Thanksgiving. And, and it was funny because in the neighborhood that I lived in, um, we had a, a cul-de-sac. We were on the end of a really long street and, and it ended in a cul-de-sac. And there was probably, I mean, no exaggeration, eh, it was probably 40 houses along, along the street and into the cul-de-sac. And every one of those houses used to decorate their, their lights on the outside of their homes and outline their house the same way they do at the plaza with those pretty white lights outlining your house in like a perfect outline and i'll never forget you know in in when we moved there um in in night and we we were renting the house from from a gentleman who was on a special assignment over in china working for an engineering company and we were lucky enough to rent this this really nice house there and in the neighborhood um we were the only house that had no lights on for about i would say a week and a half after thanksgiving and finally, you know, that we're getting into December and, and the neighbors kind of came knocking up to the house and they're like, hey, Joe, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, we had this little thing going down here. We call it Plaza South, you know, and uh, they said, you know, did you notice that you're the only house that doesn't have any lights on it? And, and we look like, you know, if you're a fan of, you know, 50s sitcoms, we look like the Munsters, you know, because our house was completely pitch black and everybody else's <laughs> house was outlined. And I was kind of like, guys, I, I can't get on a ladder. Like, there's no way, you know, Marty's not going to be happy if I come in with a sprained ankle because I fell off of a second floor <laughs> ladder. 
you know, like Clark Griswold in Christmas Vacation. And, and they all laughed and they said, well, do you have some lights? And I said, I don't know, guys, you can go look in the basement. So they, they went down in the basement and, and they said, oh, yeah, here's the lights that, you know, we know they're here because, the, you know, the guy you're renting the house from always had put the lights up. So they were kind enough to put all the lights up for us and uh, have our house included in the uh, what we called the Plaza South. And uh, so, you know, the neighborly people of Kansas City helped me out because they didn't want me falling off of a ladder. And they didn't want also didn't want our house looking like the Munsters, uh, you know, with no Christmas spirit. So, yeah, it was fun. It was fun to, to get to know the neighbors. And the fun part of it was that they took it down, too, because we were still in playoffs when they had the big takedown party. They would all get together in the cul-de-sac and bring out their grills and barbecue and, and take the lights down. And so each time they would do that, I just, you know, I put a case of beer out on the porch and say, how about it guys put the lights up take them down it's all you <laughs> so that, that's so cool you know you hear about southern hospitality as a term well there's certainly a, a midwest hospitality too and in, in kansas city people there's they're so friendly and so nice was was that just south johnson county uh, yeah yeah we were we were we were renting a house and uh technically our neighbor the neighborhood was we were in lenexa was a mm. postal you know town uh that gotcha. we were living in so it was great it was really awesome people and we had a great time living there. It was, it was a really nice house. My wife and I were able to rent and um, yeah, it was just, it was really cool that uh, you know, we got to really know some, some great neighbors and uh, you know, that's the one thing about Kansas city. I mean, I know Joe Montana loved it, loved the fact that his kids could go out in the neighborhood and play with other kids and people weren't coming to his house and asking for autographs and things like that. It just, it's just such a great, it was such a great place to live as a player. I mean, it was so supportive and you know, my, my, my wife was teaching at the time, I'll never forget they did a, a special on one of the news stations. Um, I think it was KNBC because I was working for them at the time. And they came over to our house. Um, they did a Chiefs Christmas where they were interviewing um, players and their significant others, spouses, wives, girlfriends, whatever. And they were, um, you know, talking about how we were all celebrating Christmas and how we were kind of doing it without, you know, family, right? Because we were all transplants at that point. And then I'll never forget one year they went to my wife's school and they did a Chiefs Christmas in her classroom. So the the, the TV station, came, KNBC, Channel 9 came out and they did, uh, did a whole uh, thing. My wife used to celebrate Christmas and, and the holidays with her students with, um, with a lot of Chiefs math and things like that. So they got a chance to come out and see that and sing. And the kids all wrote Christmas carols based on the Chiefs. They like substituted oh, words. Cool. in. so it was really fun. It was just a nice... You know, it's just as a nice gesture to get the community involved. And it was really nice for Jen because she had access to the Chiefs. So her school, you know, in the Blue Valley School District where she was teaching, she was at Overland Trail Elementary. And, you know, there was we always had Chiefs there because I could always talk the guys into doing something for her for her classroom. That's so cool. Now, since you were in uh, Lenexa and both you uh, and Jen had Philadelphia roots, couldn't go back there, you know, for family. Well, were there a couple like players who uh, routinely or annually would host Christmas gatherings during your time? Oh, yeah, that was a big thing, right? Who it was like a rotating Christmas, you know, party. If we were on the road, a lot of times, you know, uh, you know, the girlfriends and spouses and, and wives and things would get together and celebrate if we were on the road for the, for the Christmas holiday, you know, playing, you know, either on Christmas Eve or on Christmas day. And, but we, you know, we always had, you know, a group of, of friends that we all celebrated the holidays with. I remember, you know, having to our house, um, 
because we had been in apartments, so it was hard to host a lot of people. But I remember when we moved into our house, we had a real big Christmas gathering and Keith Cash and Matt Blunden and Greg Minuski and Greg Cragen was a defensive uh, tackle mm-hmm. that we brought on from the Broncos. Um, I remember uh, Kimbo Anders and his uh, wife came over to uh, one of our uh, holiday parties. So, yeah, it was just it was such a nice, you know, nice way for us to all get together. Ricky Sigler, Will Shields, you know, we would all try to spend the holidays together because we were all we had. You know, you're all you have at that time. And it's we didn't have FaceTime. We didn't have Zoom. You know, we didn't have a chance to really connect with people other than the phone. And, um, you know, so you had to kind of find your, your family and that's what we did. We, you know, we kind of celebrated the holidays, um, together and it kind of made you grow up a little fast, you know, as a young, young player being out there by yourself and kind of clinging to some of the older veterans and, you know, John Alt was very, always very welcoming him and his wife, Carolyn would always have people over, you know, that were, that were living far away. Cause you know, that's just the kind of people they were. Did anyone ever dress up as, Santa Claus, because I think that's more of a lineman who should fill that. <laughs> I think yeah. that's more the position type, body type. Jeff, one of my favorite Christmas memories of being in Kansas City was what Neil Smith and Derek Thomas used to do at the holidays. Um, they were amazing. I mean, they, they were generous to a fault. I mean, they just would give and give and give and give. And I know Christmas was really special for them. You know, you know with, with Derek, you know, having lost his dad, um, you know, in, in, in a military, you know, plane crash and, you know, kind of was just sad that he, you know, didn't get a chance to grow up with his dad. And, you know, I know the holidays were very special for him. Um, and Neil and he, Neil and he used to get together every holiday and they would go out and I'm telling you, these guys wouldn't just give out, you know, little toys and, you know, like a Barbie doll or two, these guys would go out and get, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of, of Christmas presents and go to, you know, homeless shelters. They would go to shelters, you know, where moms and kids were staying for whatever reason or dads and kids. And they just found ways to give back. And it's, it really, this time of year always makes me think about that. I picture Neil and Derek in their big Christmas Santa outfits Ho 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 and around town and just delivering joy to people. They they were they were amazing. Like they were just two two of the most generous people I think I've I've ever met in my life. And I still to this day remember them at the holidays and, and all the things they did for a lot of the kids and some of the families who really needed it at the time. That that's great stuff, Joe. Uh, Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Uh, well, if you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.